You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast. Happy Friday to you. I guess happy day, whatever day it is when you happen to be listening to this sometimes. Uh, not everybody listens to it right when it comes out. Uh, I'm Natasha. I'm in Calgary. Al is over in Toronto. Hello, How's it Al. going? It's going. Nice. nice to see you, Natasha. Yeah. Is it uh, the usual first question is what's the weather like? How are we, how are we doing in Calgary today? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got to stop talking about the weather, don't we? I but know, we totally do. The, the smoke is gone for the most part, but it's pretty cloudy and it's pretty gloomy out there today. But that's okay. The smoke is, seems to have dissipated. So hopefully it doesn't come back. Yes. Good stuff. Uh, Good stuff. Good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, it's still hot in Toronto. It, uh, it's been hot all week and it's yes. still hot. It's supposed to get a little more cool into the weekend. But yeah, all good. So... When you're out golfing in this heat, you went out yesterday, I think. How does that affect your game, or are you, like, laser-focused? Oh, man, I wish I had. Yeah, I wish the uh, there are other variables involved that affect my game more than the heat, which is, like, a bad swing. But, no, you know what? I, I find I'm a fan of, like, the 6.45 a.m. tea times, to be honest. Like, the Ooh. yeah, 100%. You know, I know it, it sucks at 6 o'clock when you're leaving, and, and it, that, it, it really sucks then. Um, but... The heat is one thing, you know, that uh, is not nearly as congested. There's something about that, that smell of grass, and it sounds so corny to say, but there's something about that. For me, I now refer to it as the smell of golf, just that, that freshly cut grass smell. Uh, I love it. Uh, I love it. So, yeah, it sucks at 6 a.m., but by 7 o'clock and you're on that second tee, uh, it's the perfect time to be out. I think, I mean, I could not agree more. I am not a morning person. And I was thinking recently all this year, I've only ever played evening rounds or afternoon rounds. And I need to get out for a morning round because golf is the one thing that I'm like, okay, I can do this in the morning. And every time I do, like when it's that early, exactly. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. But then you get out there and it's the smell of the grass or the dew or something that you're just like, and your cells open up and your pores are awake and the oxygen, you start sucking it in and it's <laughs> great. Yeah. So I, uh, I get the morning golf for sure. Couldn't, couldn't agree more except for the pores thing. I don't know too much about the pores <laughs> thing, but yeah, you know what you're, uh, you know, I'm not going to take your word for it. I'm going to take your word for, uh, for the, uh, on, on the pores thing, but speaking about golf, it's a fun golf weekend, right? This weekend, well, it's a big tournament. I segue into uh, some sports talk. You know what, though? There's there's a few big tournaments. Of course, there is the uh, Northern Trust going on, which is huge. There is the AIG Women's Open Championship, which is also oh, huge. But I am also playing this weekend, Ali, in a tournament or an event that I've been looking forward to all summer. The PGA of Canada puts on, I guess it's, yeah, an event, a tournament, um, where you can find three of your best golfing friends sign up for qualifiers all across the country and if you make it through the qualifier and the regionals and the playoffs you can go all the way to the national the national championship i don't know if they call it the national championship but that's basically <laughs> what it is the best teams across canada amateur teams um and we get to go play uh at cabot in the maritimes so my qualifier is this saturday i finally managed to round up a team we had some cancellation issues or whatever, but Saturday in Innisfail, Alberta, the four of us are going to get out there and we are going to try to win this thing. Well, yeah. we should be talking about that. No, so so you're playing in the scramble, which is a yes, huge event, a obviously. 
Um, amazing. I've heard so many good things about it. I know the popularity of that has grown amazingly over the last few years. It's, you know, mm-hmm. as, as with golf. Uh, I wish you all the best. Well, we have to make sure. Okay, so next week, we need at least oh, yeah. a five, ten-minute review on not only Natasha's team's game, but on Natasha's game. Was, was the driver working? Was the short iron your game? Are you, are you okay? So, actually, what, on that note, what is your – do you have, like, a, a go-to club? Is there, is there one club that you feel most comfortable with? Uh, versus well, other ones i would say i'm right now i'm hitting my driver the best actually which is good because i like having nice. confidence off the tee but um i my favorite clubs i mean it's a love-hate relationship but when i hit three wood <laughs> well it feels so good so i do nice my three woods yeah the Honestly, long ball no no pitching wedges or nine irons for you well, no. i like a driver and three wood well done I have to work on my short game big time. I think the wedge will one day become my favorite club, actually, but I just don't have the touch yet. I have to put the work in. Gotcha. I'm just not it's, it's it's so variable, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, one day it's great, and the next day it's gone. So I, I know that inconsistency all too well, way too well. So my my handicap is 27 because of my short game, I would say, but all my girlfriends, they are down at like 14, 16, Six. Okay. So they're totally going to carry us this Saturday. <laughs> I need to just help out with some drives and maybe the odd putt, and we'll see what happens. So that's the key to the scramble: is surrounding yourself with a quality team, uh, <laughs> so you don't have the pressure on you, and, and to be a subject matter expert, right? To be a maybe it's going to be you're going to be that fairway wood, you're going to be that you know 200 out. You're, you're taking them down the yeah. kind of town the uh, down the pipeline. Um, but that's cool. Have a lot of fun. Hope the weather's good. Hope everything stays. Uh, dry and not too hot. Yes. And uh, I look forward to hearing the report back next week on your performance. All right. I hope it's a good one. I hope it's a good one. Um, but yeah, golf, um, the FedEx Cup playoffs. This is a great time of year. And we've been talking, we talked before about how the Canadians uh, always seem to be, one of them at least, always seems they to do. be at the top of the leaderboard during the big events. And this time so far, it's been no different. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes is right up there. I think he was a four under 67 after uh, the very first round. So yep. he's, he's in the hunt and he, last year he had to hit an eight foot putt just to make the tour championship this year. He was in the final group of the U S open. I believe it was. So he has that, like that experience, right. At these nervous moments now, like he's getting that, those, those championship day experience. What am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say with the pressure. I do. No, you know, no, you're absolutely right. I think, I think, and, and it's cool to see because I mean, the the amount of parity there is in golf, right? There's like the top ten players are all pretty damn good, and anyone can win on any given day. So to see him do it consistently in big tournaments uh, is it, huge. And I think, yeah, you're right. So even today, I'm looking right now, and he is three under for the day, sitting at minus seven uh, in fifth place right now. Um, so continuing to perform well, and there's some, you know, some pretty big names above him, Johnny Rahm being, being the first one. Uh, but no, I agree. It's great to see the Canadians playing. I know Corey Connors was under as well yesterday. I think he was a minus one, yeah. uh, and is off, I think in a couple hours. Uh, so I'll be watching this afternoon and cheering on the Canadians, but this is a, I mean, to your point, this is the beginning of like, like any sport, the beginning of the playoffs is fun and this is no different, right? All the storylines start to emerge a little bit more now. And it's really some really cool ones this year. I think John Rahm is you know, is being the best player in the world right now, obviously, uh, given his performance over the last couple of uh, last couple of tournaments. And it's too bad he missed out on the Olympics because of COVID and everything else. It would have been interesting to see that. But what's your, you know, your most intriguing storyline uh, for the FedEx Cup, for, for the playoffs? Well, I was just going to say, I hate it when the favorite wins. Like, I don't want John Robb to win. I want, I want some better storylines. I want the underdogs to win. I want, I mean, I don't know if Rory's ever an underdog, but... It'd be yeah. nice to see him win instead. I don't, 
Adam Scott, Colin Markell. These guys are all great. I just want to see a different guy yeah. win, I guess. And what about obviously to see the couple of Canadians make the cut? They go from 125 people to 70 to make the BMW championship. So hopefully some of the Canadians make it through. Absolutely. What about uh, you know, every every sports fan loves a good redemption story, right? What about Spieth? You know, and not that he's been too far off the pace the last couple of years, but he has fallen off and now seemingly has found his groove. I think he's second right now, you know, uh, second right now to Morikawa. Uh, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, how this plays out for him in the next little bit. He is typically been the opposite of what we'll see from you in terms of your pressure putting and your pressure game. He typically, typically falls off in these kind of big, uh, big events, but it'll be interesting to see if he can keep this going. Yeah, I, I suppose it would be a redemption story. I just... I, I don't know. I, I'm a fan of Jordan. I don't, I don't mind him one way or another. Again, I just, I like to see different guys win. Totally. I, I like to see different names up there. That's where you get the better stories. I think yeah. guys have never won it before. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I also like, I also appreciate the characters involved. And this is interesting because this time of year, last year was when the whole Brooks and Bryson thing really started to develop. I don't know if you remember, but it was this, at this oh, tournament yeah. where the, the caddies were going back and forth a little bit and there was a little bit of jawing back and forth. That stuff happened at an Emirates tournament previously as well. But this is kind of where the beginning of that rivalry. And I, I don't know, I don't know, call me a controversy freak, whatever. I, I like that. I like, I like the personality, right? I like it more than, uh, I like to see more than just the amazing performance on the course. I like seeing a little personality and some flaws, you know, some right. of the vanity versus kind of self-assurances that these guys have. It's a, it's, I, I like that part of it. Yeah. I'm a little bit lukewarm on that whole thing with those two. I don't find either of them particularly likable <laughs> to begin with. Okay. So now that they have this little feud going, if that's what even it is, because apparently it's just manufactured. There's like a rumor they're just doing it on purpose to get the attention, yeah. whatever. Uh, I don't know if I love it to be. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm being such a baby about this because you're right. Usually it's good to have like these rivalries and these, these, I don't know, the trash talking and stuff, but. Yeah. Well, typically you want someone who's kind of the, the, the to take an old wrestling analogy, the hero and the heel, the villain. And in this case, you know, there isn't really a hero, I suppose. They're both kind yeah. of villainous, I suppose. Maybe that's why. Maybe they both feel like villains to me. But again, I'm not <laughs> sure why. They haven't done anything wrong. I just, I don't know. Brace, you know, he comes off as a little bit arrogant. Arrogant, I yeah. Like, I mean... I, I don't know. I have to do some deep thinking about that. Like, probably my <laughs> it own is a... issues with my with something. I'm not sure. I don't know. But uh, you can't argue with the way Bryson has changed the game, right? I mean, I, it's amazing, yeah. right? That's that that kind of stuff. The evolution of any sport, I think, is pretty cool. And this, we're looking at an evolution right now, right? People, they're actually changing courses to adapt to the way this guy is hitting the ball and others are right. following suit. And I think that's a really cool, you know, a kind of a, kind of a, a, a growing up process that the game kind of has to go through. See, maybe that's it right there is I don't like change. Uh, nobody likes change. And it's like, Whoa, it's too much change. Don't be changing the golf courses for this guy right away. But I don't know yeah. if he's going to be able to keep that up. Right. Like he won one major, but can he keep doing that? Absolutely. all the time he hasn't proven to be that consistent yet yeah. absolutely and that's the and that and there's the challenge of golf we talked about parody before everybody's good and can you do it repeatedly not only over the course of a season but over the course of five seasons 10 seasons 15 right. when you think about the real greats in the game right the tigers and the, the arnolds and the jacks those guys did it for decades uh mm -hmm. never mind a year or two so it'll be it'll be cool to see interesting to see if he can if he can keep this up and if that you know if that gets 
uh, if that gets old, if it's a novelty, you know, uh, the wildcat offense in the NFL, every team ran it for a couple of years, for, you know, for a couple of weeks during a couple of seasons. And then eventually it was kind of debunked and we're back to, uh, back to more traditional, traditional offense. So we'll see if that happens in, uh, in, in golf as well. We will see how it plays out. And that was a pretty good segue there, right? Into some football talk. Football. Into that. Week three of the CFL underway on Thursday, the Elks and the Lions. And um, the Elks, still so weird saying the Elks. They managed to get their first victory of the season. Thank goodness for them. Because I don't know if you can go down 0-3 in a 14-game season. Uh, and somehow still make the playoffs or come out the other end. So, yeah, kudos to the Elks. Uh, just their second touchdown of the year, so they need to work yeah. on some offense, obviously. <laughs> Greg Ellenson got going, so that was good. And um, Did he get going? He really got going, didn't he? He went for like 140-something. But he had, I believe, what, I believe he had one yard uh, correct. In, in, a, in a previous week. Was that correct? One yes. receiving yard? Yes. So, yeah, that was nice to see him. And and James Wilder Jr., I, I, the guy's a good guy. I have this new appreciation for the running backs in the CFL, and I sound you know, like a, such a newbie saying it, but I didn't watch it as closely as I am this year. And, again, watching that guy run, man, he's, he's, he's shifty, he's fast, he's finding holes, going for, you know, over 120, I think it was on 18 carries. Um, that that offense looked really good. I was a little disappointed, uh, you know, given that the Lions are back at home, fans are in the stadium. There's a new owner. I thought it was a really good story for the whole ownership group and fans in the stands and the Lions to get to win their home opener. But uh, but no, it's uh, the Elks. The Elks played really well. Michael Riley got held in check. Obviously, what 128 yards, I think it was, or something yes. like that. I don't know the exact um, number, but you're right. I thought the Esk's defense played well from the parts of the game that I saw. I didn't see the whole thing, but I, I thought they made some good stops um, kind of down near the end of the game. So, uh, but you're right. Too bad for the Lions to not win at home because I know they were pretty pumped to get back in that stadium. I think it was 656 days since they had played. That many. Uh, yeah, wow. because of COVID and everything, which is crazy. Of course. Of course, of course. It, it, uh, you know, it's, I did watch, I got a chance to watch at least the first half of the game, a little bit of the second half as well. Um, and you can really see the value of those guys in the trenches. And I won't talk about linemen too much, but the Lions lost, uh, I think it was their left tackle early on in the game. And I don't know, but for the rest of the first half and for the little bit of watching the second half, Riley never looked comfortable at all. It's amazing how you take one cog and let's be honest, like receivers are sexy position, quarterback, of course, running backs are. The linemen, not so much. But you remove yeah. that one cog out of that, you know, kind of that wheel in the middle, uh, and it has such an impact on everybody else. Now, Rally doesn't have enough time to step back and can't find the receivers, can't, can't get them in their routes fast enough. Right. It was uh, it was interesting to see that, and it was really pronounced, I thought, last night. Uh, but you know what? To that point, listen, let's talk about the Elks defense. It wasn't just about an injury to the offensive line. I did see a stat this morning that said the Elks defense going back to 2019 has held Riley to under 160 yards uh, four games. Yeah, yeah. Right? Riley doesn't seem to play well against his former team. Maybe they're absolutely. They're, I'm not. I don't want to say they're maybe in his head so much, but it's interesting how they how he doesn't quite have his best game for sure. And maybe he's still dealing with that elbow injury a little bit, right? Like I think they, so. The second he has less protection in front of him, maybe he's maybe he's a little bit nervous about getting hit hard. Absolutely. And hurt. Absolutely. <laughs> That could have been Absolutely. a too. Um, and just the, the one other game I think was a bit is a big one is 
is the one tonight. Calgary uh, 0-2. They do not have a victory yet. Yes. O. Levi Mitchell out for six weeks. And I was doing all this research on, or trying to do some research on this Canadian quarterback, Michael O'Connor, who I thought was going to get the start. And then, no, apparently it's this American Jake Meyer, who I know nothing about, Ali. Do you know anything about Jake Meyer? Other than not U.S. Davies, uh, Davis Aggies. At the Aggies, yeah. I did read some research this morning as well. And uh, it's interesting you noted that and we're very specific to say the Canadian and the American. And I took the same stance as you and I read a lot of stuff this morning. I was thinking, wow, there's really a pronounced definition between the geographic origins of these two players. And I was wondering why that is. And uh, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's on the coach's responsibility to play a Canadian in the CFL? Do you think think that should even factor into the decision? Even even this much? No. You can't do that. You have I to agree. play to win. Yeah, you have to play to win. I mean, I, I don't agree. know either of these quarterbacks well enough to know why he would have picked one over, one over the other. Someone said, oh, maybe because literally, like us, the players don't know anything about Jake Meyer. There's no film on him at all. So maybe they're going for the elements of surprise. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll I'm, see. Not, I'm not sure. Um, well, it's, it's going to be a challenge either way for the Stamps to try and get into the win column here with uh, you know, with uh, with a uh, without their franchise quarterback, without the face of the league to some degree, but most outstanding player a couple times uh, over the last few years. So it, that'll be interesting. And the Owls have a pretty serious offense themselves, don't they? Right? Mm-hmm. They, uh, they they can get moving. I think they what for uh, their 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 quarterback uh, Davis Jr. I believe, and uh, and Willie Stanback, William Stanback is their their running back. And again, I've done a little research on him, and I will again, you know, kind of praise the running backs in the CFL because because uh, this guy is uh, he's he had a breakout year last year with over a thousand rushing yards which I didn't think happened very often in the CFL uh, and it started off this year just the same way so I'm excited to watch that matchup I uh, I you know I'm looking for the stamps to try and get in the win column but I think you know as a betting man I will probably put in my money on the on the Owls tonight in that in that high powered offense. Well, I'm going to start keeping a closer eye on the running backs just for you. So you and I Thank can you. at running backs more in depth next week. Um, because you're right, there are some there are some absolutely great ones in the CFL. I'm actually interested to tonight, living in this city now, never lived in Calgary before. I know it's a sports town, but now that I'm here and if this team happens to go down 0-3, uh, what the vibe will be like just to get to know the fan base a little bit more out here. Absolutely. So, get to know them. In a, I, I, I know you're an Edmonton girl and I know that there's a friendly rivalry between cities. So I'm intrigued as to how you're get to know how the fan base feels uh, really. Is that in, in a, in a mocking fashion? Is that no, you know, I, I'd be interested to hear to see how that goes. There is no mocking fashion. I'm as a, as a broadcaster, we'll call myself a journalist. So I don't know if I'm yep. like a journalist, but I'm just curious, yeah, to the to see the vibe of the city. I will say, was it last week, I think? Yes, last week I was driving by the stadium just accidentally because I still don't know it, my way around the city. I was accidentally driving by the city right before the football game, and it was a beautiful night, and the crowds were flooding the stadium, McMahon Stadium, cool. and I kind of missed, missed that. I missed that CFL pregame. Cool. Vibe. And it was it was definitely in Calgary. Yeah, it was awesome to see fans uh, heading back into the stadium. So that was cool. I need to get out to a game at some point here. I've never been to McMahon Stadium, so I'll need to make that happen. Looks it's like a great looks like a great vibe out there. Looks like a great yeah. passionate fan base out there. So I'm sure it'll be uh, it'll it'll be a party whether they're winning or losing. Uh, one real quick note: I have been paying attention to the betting line of this game that we're talking about tonight, and. Okay. 
uh, seemingly the Stampeders are getting some money coming in on them. Uh, I had seen the line as much as six and a half earlier today. It is a six and a half Alouette favorite. Uh, and I'm seeing it right now on a couple of sports books down to minus four for the Alouettes now, meaning that money is coming in on the Stampeders side. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if that's just those diehard Calgary fans out there waking up yeah. and getting a, a kind of kind of getting their getting their wages in, or we'll see if there's something maybe you and I don't know. I was going to say did something happened that we are not aware of in the last hour. I don't know. We'll see. Intriguing. Okay, we'll find out. Um, all right. In the meantime, I have yet to mention our guests. I am super excited to have my very good friend, Tessa Benham, on the podcast. She won a gold medal with the women's Olympic team in Vancouver in 2010. She is here in Calgary covering the Women's World Hockey Championship. She is in the bubble, which I can't wait to hear all about. <laughs> I can see you're really excited about the bubble. How's it going? Bubble life is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, what everybody's been living, <laughs> at least in Ontario, for the past what year and a half two years uh, it's a lot but you know what I feel like it's worth it because we've waited so long for this tournament I mean from when COVID initially hit to it being canceled and then pushed to the following year in 2021 so okay April everyone's saying you know what April's not a good month let's push it till May 2021 and then obviously the hammer being dropped on the ladies so close to everything getting going. I mean, Team Japan was just about to board their flight to fly to Halifax for the start of the wow. tournament. And uh, the premier, who actually just lost um, in the election out there, um, he had pulled the plug on it last minute. So these poor ladies were ready to rock. Team Canada had been there, you know, training, getting ready for the tournament, and the, the plug gets pulled. And they had no idea if and when this tournament was going to happen again. Uh, so now that they rescheduled it in August and we're all here and are ready to rock, you know what? I'll stay in this bubble for the entire <laughs> time as long as this tournament gets going for these women and uh, everything runs smoothly without any more hiccups. It's worth it for sure. And I think every single one of them will tell you the same because I know I was talking to a few of them. Um, they, you know, they warm up outside in the parking lot and I'm like, how are you girls feeling? And they're like nervous. Like <laughs> the puck hasn't officially dropped yet, you know? So they still have, that anxiety from what happened before left. So I think after today, once tournament gets going, I'm not going to say that things are going to loosen up by any means because they won't. If anything, they'll tighten up. Um, I think everyone's finally going to exhale and be like, okay, we made it. Like, here we are. We're doing this. I like that little shot at the premiere there that you just kind of. Yeah, me too. Good shit. Off by a landslide, just throwing it out there. <laughs> I don't know. I, I honestly, I haven't checked, but I know, I know Cassie Campbell, who's also a friend of ours, Tash, um, she had gone on hockey night in Canada and, and said that, you know, she felt that he owed these women an apology. And I know that his heart was in the right place. I, I you know, it's, he did it for a reason. He felt like he was protecting his people and whatnot. But um, I can tell you that that bubble and the bubble that we're in right now is safer than any bubble that I've ever been a part of. We wear tracking bracelets so they know if we leave our hotel room. Yeah, man. So it's like nothing was going to happen. And I, I'm with Cassie on that, that I feel like those women, all of them deserved an apology because um, in my opinion, if that was the world juniors out there, the plug would have never been pulled. So that's neither here wow. nor there. That's me guesstimating, but um, wow. I, think, I think. It kind of is not here nor there though. Is it Tessa? Like 
when it, <laughs> would them, would this ever happen to them? I mean, we're going to go right into this. Would this ever happen to any of the men's teams? Like the IIHF didn't have a backup plan at all. I just don't think this would ever happen to the world juniors or to the men's side. I think that was the most disappointing part. Uh, for a lot of these athletes and, you know, for myself, a player who is still invested um, in all of the teams playing and is still invested in the sport, uh, an alumnus, if you will, of, of international hockey. Um, I, I know that, you know, all of a sudden my phone was blowing up with teammates I hadn't heard from for, for a while and everybody was just going off. Like, how is this even a thing? I, I don't understand you know, okay, yeah, sure. Pull the plug. But, but we all knew this, these are COVID times. So there needs to be another plan. And um, I think it was just pure disappointment. And, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes and we learn from them. And the only thing I can hope for is that the IHF learns from that and make sure that this never happens again. And I, and I honestly don't think that any of the hockey federations will ever let it happen again. If, we're ever in a situation similar to this or even in any tournament really, because anything could happen. Um, Just to have that, that backup plan. I mean, the only other time a women's worlds was canceled, I believe um, was after nine 11. So, um, and rightfully so. Um, So, you know, that, that reason to me is pretty legit. And uh, you know, when the pandemic in 2020 hit that one as well, makes a lot of sense, but to cancel uh, something that could have taken place and have no backup plan, I think is, yeah. is a lot. And I think even for sponsorships and the city of Halifax and the province of Nova Scotia mm-hmm. itself, um, it's a ton of money gone down the drain and yeah. there's a lot of people that lost a lot of money on that, which isn't good. So, um, I, I think that that was a very big learning lesson for everyone and, uh, let's hope it only happens once. It's a really good point about the sponsorship. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the girls are like nervous. What is the rust factor going to be like for the teams? So we, we covered three pre-tournament games and I'm not going to lie as, as someone who, as I said, is invested in this and is hosting this tournament and wants to pump it and get as much viewership as possible. I mean, this tournament TSN is broadcasting all 31 games. So, um, cool. you know, I'd mentioned I'm doing three games a day and I was kind of making fun of it, but like, I'm so stoked we're doing all of these games. And so prior to doing those pre-tournament competition games, I was like, you know, if you really think about it, these ladies were in isolation training by themselves. Like the, the team cohesiveness, the, the chemistry out there, I was like, man, what is this even going to be like? And I mean, for anyone who plays hockey out there, you can train as hard as you want in the summertime. Hockey legs are something that are so hard to get under you. And the only way you get them is by skating yourself. So I was like, I hope these teams have had enough time here to piece that together and taking a full year off from actually playing competitive games. I mean, they're pros. I'm not going to lie. These women were training. A lot of them trained with the NHL guys in the off season. So I knew they were going to come with a certain level, but game pace, gameplay, those hard crisp passes at full speed, shooting in stride, all that stuff. I was like, how's this going to look? And quite frankly, I was knocked off my seat. I was very impressed. Um, You know, Team Canada obviously hasn't won in the last five years. Uh, Last time they played was in 2019 and they won the bronze medal, not the color they wanted, but a medal nonetheless. And it was the first time that they hadn't made it to the, the world championship final. And for them, that's a long time sitting on that. I mean, for someone who is competitive, I 
that would eat me alive. Like I got to wait another year to deal with this. Like, come on, man. And I'll tell you what, um, usually before these tournaments with team Canada, I'm always a little bit nervous. Like, Oh man, do they have it? Like frig, hopefully they, you know, they, they grow and peak. And after that pre tournament game, I'm like, Whoa, okay. I hope the Americans are ready, you know, because these ladies were on, they were buzzing. They were on fire. Um, the only thing that wasn't clicking for them was finding the back of the net right off the bat, which it's a pre-tournament game. Like I said, you don't want to peak early. You, you want to, you know, you're not peaking in high school. You want to peak in college and after that. So <laughs> that's the plan is to grow and build towards, you know, the elimination rounds. And, and from what I saw their base, their starting point is the best I've seen. And I can't even remember the last time when I felt like this watching the team. So um, kudos to Gina Kingsbury, who, you know, is, is running the team right now. Uh, Kudos to Troy, who is the head coach. And um, hopefully these, these ladies buy in and do what they can to bring gold back on home soil in Canada, which is a little bit more. So the U S has been the dominant side, right? For the last few years, I think they've won the last five, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, And of course, Oh, eight of nine. That's that's uh that's pretty dominant for the last for the it last hurts. decade. So besides the U.S., Canada, I know Finland obviously is uh, always has a great team. Are there any sleepers that we should be watching? I'm I'm excited to watch hockey overall, so I'll be watching a lot of the games. But is there any teams that I should be especially excited to watch besides the obvious ones? The things with Finland is you know they are technically the defending champs. Uh, there was the some controversy, IHF, wasn't there, in 19? The yeah, IHF is probably going to be really mad at me for saying this, but I don't care. They screwed up that call. That was the wrong call. Um, I think they know it. I know Finland knows it. The government did award the team um, there. So when a team wins, the government will supply a um, monetary um, bonus for the team. So they gave it to them as if they had won the gold medal. They were celebrated. They were given a parade, which is cool. Um, but nonetheless, a call was screwed up. They ended up going into a shootout with the U.S. who has 21 of 21. I'm, their goalie can score on a, on a penalty shot. Their, their dangles are so sick. Um, so they won in a shootout. And as soon as it went to the shootout, I knew. I'm like, as good as Noratu is, the goalie for Team Finland, this is a tall order, man. And unfortunately for Finland, fortunately for Team USA, um, they won. So Finland They've got a really young team. Not a lot of players came back from that squad, oddly okay. enough. Strange. Uh, but they put a good outing against Team Canada on the power play. Um, they hit two crossbars and a post. Um, they actually okay. scored the first goal of the game. And they're here without Noratu right now. So they right. don't have their top goaltender. But they're, they're two goalies that were in. I was delightfully surprised at how great they showed. Um, so Finland definitely. But after Finland, I feel like there's a bit of a drop-off. Um, Russia tries. They're they're getting there. Um, Switzerland is still um, they they Switzerland reminds me of Finland, you know, six years ago where they're playing just not to lose by a lot, as opposed to you know what, what do we what do we have to lose? Let's get out there and run a gun and try and keep up with them. Uh, defense is obviously an important part of the game, especially if you know you're you know you're outmanned a little bit and you got to you have to play proper and wait for your time, but. Um, I think it's a matter of these ladies getting the confidence at the younger levels before they enter the national program, um, which, to be honest, women's hockey is doing a fantastic job with that. And uh, I've noticed a lot as well, um, especially in pre-tournament games with Czech Republic, uh, even just watching Japan 
practice and play um, the IHF on the women with the women's side as well. What, what we do is um, every year women from all the teams come together and they actually have a huge, massive training camp. So the strength coaches from Canada, from USA, um, from Finland, from Sweden, uh, everyone gets together. And so you're learning, everyone's sharing knowledge and learning and these cool. players are getting to practice together. So now a player from team Switzerland gets to train and practice and play with a player from Canada, from USA, from Japan. So all these ladies are getting to know each other. And I think that helps erase um, the fact that these women would come into these tournaments and the American and Canadian players were held so high on this pedestal. They were like these, these, you know, these icons that couldn't be touched and they were, they were elite and they were extra and they were superhuman. And now it kind of pulls them back down to cool. their level. And it's like, you're just like me, man. Hey, what's up? You know, Spooner, a long time no see. It makes them human. <laughs> so when they're out there, they're not playing against this mega robot female hockey player. It's someone that they know. And it's like, well, I've practiced my saucer pass with you. Mine's just as good. So I think that that cool. is slowly, the more we do this, is going to level the playing field. And it's also going to help in terms of some national sporting organizations don't offer up uh, enough funding for their program to get the proper type of training and coaching like we're fortunate enough to get here in Canada and in the U.S. Um, and to be honest, exhibit A of that is Sweden. They're not even in this tournament. They got relegated. Right. Relegated Sweden. Wow. Like what? So their women's program doesn't really get proper funding. And I mean, people might say, well, money isn't everything. Well, actually it kind of is. And it helps a lot. So um, I think that the women's hockey world under, understood that and saw that and is trying to do their best to, without having to dump in a, a ton of funds. Um, they obviously have to, to run these camps, but um, to help share knowledge that way interesting yeah so it's coming i mean you know women's hockey hasn't been around very long the first women's world championship was back in 1990 i mean that's it really yeah. i didn't know that wow right it's coming because i was alive then and you would hope it would be years and years and years and years ago like my mom told me this one time but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now i'm that mom i guess do you think this delay, Tessa, like like you said, it's been such a long time since they played um, competitive games. Uh, it's been over a year, a year and a half, I think, right? Since it got canceled last year and then delayed yeah. again. So the fact that young girls at home haven't been watching a lot of women play hockey on TV, how much does that hurt the game? Like that, such a big gap like that, does it? Um, yes and no. I, I think that you know, watching hawking period is good for anybody, male or female. Um, so obviously the NHL is on what it helps is what it hurts. I should say, um, it's for the women playing just the exposure. Um, right. Cause not all of them are, um, I guess receiving sponsorship money. So a lot of them have jobs. Um, but the good part is the PWHPA did actually manage to put on some Dream Gap Tour games south of the border. The American players put on Showcase uh, north of the border here in Calgary. Actually, they played a little bit of a tournament here. Um, yeah. It made it it made it on air, which was awesome. You could also stream it, which was great. Um, the tough thing for me always is, you know, I mean, the WNBA actually is a really good example of this. They putting just putting the sport on air. It's going to get viewerships. It's going to get interest, right? 
Um, that Seattle Sonics game had what 755,000 viewers tune in. Yep. That's so sick. So I think there's that, but I think there's also the side where parents need to be aware. My father, when I grew up playing, you know, I, he scouts for the OHL, the Ontario hockey league. And so <laughs> I was always lugged around to the rinks with him watching these young guys play. And I was obviously heavy into the NHL, quite frankly, before it was announced that the women could play in the Olympics, I thought I was going to be drafted in the NHL and I was probably going to play with either Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux. Like I was cool. Of with course. That. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't awesome. that. And my dad actually was, had the wherewithal enough to make sure that I was aware that there were women out there playing. And, you know, I was an offensive defenseman and he introduced me to Geraldine Heaney. He went as far as running a girl's, um, hockey school in Sudbury and managed to get Geraldine to come to Sudbury and teach us for a couple of days. Wow. So I got to meet my idol live and in person, which is crazy back then, because if you really think about it, the only time they were on TV was on TSN when the women's worlds were happening. And so kudos to my father. But when I go to these Absolutely. training camps or even here, when there are fans in the rink and I ask little girls, you know, who's your favorite player? And they're like, no, Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. I'm like, no, 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 no. Who's your favorite female hockey player? Like, name me someone. And there are some times when they can't. And immediately I look right to their parents. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> right. Tessa, but by the way. <laughs> but I look at their parents like, this isn't your child's fault. This isn't, right? No. Yeah. Mine, it's, it's obviously the media's fault because we're not giving them enough opportunity, but it's also, you can find this too. It's not that hard. There's mm -hmm. magazines out there. There's posters out there. It's the internet. These kids are on their iPads and everything <laughs> all the time, man. You're not fooling me. Show them websites, show them videos. Spooner's great. Sarah Nurse, like there's so many women. Kendall Coyne on the American side, Hillary Knight. I can rhyme off like 50 names to you right now. These exactly. women should be just as popular as the Connor McDavid's. I mean, you saw Connor McDavid after Kendall Coyne did that fastest skater. He was like, yes, yes. I better make sure. That I was cool. Up. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. Um, how much of, how much of this championship would you say is preparation for Beijing? Or is this, is this, is this kind of on its own, its own, obviously it has its own merit and its own value and stuff, but how much of this, feeds into the preparation because that's not far away, right? We're only a few months away from, you know, what I would consider the, you know, the, the granddaddy, but uh, maybe you tell me what kind of perspective they have. That's the Stanley cup. That's the Stanley cup right there. That's man. It, you right? It. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the beautiful thing about this tournament happening in August, <clears throat> there is a silver lining to this being moved all the way to August is that August one usually marks the beginning of what is called a centralization year for hockey teams ahead of an Olympics. So a centralized year is where, all these women leave their jobs, leave their families. They up and move to one location for team Canada. It's here in Calgary and uh, they eat, sleep and play hockey all day for the Canadian women. They play in a midget triple a league out here. Um, they basically play as many games as an NHL schedule um, leading up to the Olympics. It's kind of cool too, because uh, wow. these young players at the beginning of the year don't really like us because, <laughs> because the women oftentimes beat them. Uh, by the end, there's major respect because they understand that we play such a solid, solid, systematic game. We can skate with them. We can shoot with them. Sure. You guys can out battle us. That's fine. You're six foot four, buck 80. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but and it's cool because there's that camaraderie built. So um, getting back to your question, the this tournament lands 
half a month into the teams already being together. So instead of this tournament being a, um, an evaluation, if you will, of sorts for teams, this isn't it. This is like, all right, let's see where we stand and what we need to work on moving forward in the few months coming. So teams are putting their best foot forward and they're already pedal to the metal. It's like no joking around here, guys. Like this, this is something. And these players understand like, okay, I'm at centralization. I've made this team, but I haven't made the team yet. So everybody now it's, it's almost like an Olympics before the Olympics. Do you know what I mean? So it's got that buzz and it's crazy because there's no fans in the stands and it was pre-tournament that I was covering, but like, I was jacked. And like, there was one point when I was like, they could even turn the music up, you know, (laughs) but it didn't matter. Like the ladies on the bench were going when they scored. It was like, it felt like there was people in there just because the energy is so high um, with the ladies on the ice that I I don't know, this is, this is awesome. And then, like you said, this is the the pre tune up before, before the big show. Yeah. Yeah. Tessa Marie Philippe Poulin was dealing with injuries a couple of years ago. Uh, she is, I mean, tell us who we should keep an eye on for Canada and what kind of difference her return makes for this team. Huge. First of all, best player in the world, hands down. Um, no questions asked when she's healthy. Yes. Um, I can't take much away from Hillary Knight because she's a Canadian killer that that girl scores the big goals at the biggest test. So between her and Mary, they know how to find the back of the net when it matters most. Um, the toughest part for Pooh is that um, she's always going to be your hardest worker. Um, she's always going to be that step ahead. It's like Sid, you know what I mean? Like, I don't care. You could do that. I did that last year. You know what I mean? He's always <laughs> going to have a one up. Um, he's always going to find a way to stay relevant. He's always going to find a way to be a difference maker. And that's Pooh. And um, I think for her, she became such an immediate star. Um, they threw the captaincy on her. She's not an outspoken, boisterous person. Mm-hmm. She's actually a very quiet, humble. She likes to be behind the scenes. Um, so for her, I think it was a heavy load. She became a global ambassador for Gatorade. You know, she she, she skyrocketed to the top, rightfully so. Um I think it was a lot for her. And then on top of it, to pile on those injuries, I think she was just trying to keep her head above water for a while. Um, and with that, the team kind of spiraled. Um, they had lost their, their leader in a sense. Um, but now that she's back, it's like, Oh, Mary didn't lose a step. If anything, she gained one and a half, like Holy Amazing. Moses. Wow. And it's cool because she doesn't say much, like I said, but when she walks in the room or when she's around those players, everyone just kind of, they, you know, your place, right? right? That's like hockey royalty in a sense. Um, but she's the kindest, most friendliest person. And, um, but you don't take that for granted because if you get in the way of winning with her, you're going to pay. So <laughs> between her, um, the, there's a player here that rem- you're going to laugh at Asha just because I'm going to throw this out there, but I'm being serious. Emma Maltese is a young player coming up. She plays at the Ohio state university and she reminds me a lot of Poulain in her work ethic, um, in her love for the game, uh, in her competitiveness and just her smarts out there. And, uh, I've, I've known her and her family for a little bit cause I'm an alumnus of, of the Buckeyes. Um, but I was nervous for her coming in because I, 
Centralization is a big year and the, the world championships is a big deal. And this is her first. So I wasn't sure how she was going to perform in her first pre-tournament game. And she was put in some positions that I was like, wow, you know, good for you. Taking draws in the defensive zone on a penalty kill in the last few minutes of the game. Like that's a, that's a lot of responsibility. And she's a winger and she stepped in and she made sure, you know, when you're in your D zone, you don't have to win the draw. Just don't lose it. She don't did lose it. Yeah, she was blocking shots. She was forechecking proper. She ended up getting an empty net goal, her first goal at the end of the game. Um, but the, the the young players that they've injected into this roster, I'll tell you what, they did a fantastic job betting these individuals. Um, and kudos to the, the core group, the vets. These young players have more confidence than I've ever seen in rookies ever. Sarah Fillier is one of them. She had a ton of chances. Victoria Bach from Milton, Ontario. She had a ton of chances. She was getting dirty in front. I was like, I appreciate these chips on the shoulders, ladies. Like, keep it going. This is Canadian hockey. Um, And then on the back end, which terrified me originally before the puck dropped, I'm like, these are a lot of rookies back here. You got a lot of young new faces and defense in the NHL or here, anyone will tell you that's the toughest position to make the transition because your mistakes are usually big. Yep. Um, but these ladies were jumping in on the plays. They were throwing their body around. And um, that's how I like to see team Canada play. And they were, and it wasn't apologetic. It wasn't um, like, Oh, oops. It was like, no, this is my spot. This is my Jersey. This is my number. Like, you want to get around me? You're going to have to go through me kind of thing. And I was like, the, the attitude of the team is, is proper. And, and a lot of it is driven by these young players, but it's, it's driven by the young players because the vets have instilled that confidence in them. If that makes sense. Totally. Okay. Tessa, you're firing me up now, just listening to all this. So we'll get you out of here right away, but crystal ball, like let's pretend it's going to come down to Canada and the U S in the gold medal game. What? does Canada need to do to beat the U S what's the difference going to be? So, and this is no knock against the Canadian goaltenders because they're all fantastic, but on the American side, they've got a lot of experience and a lot of gold medals back there. And just watching the way they played uh, in their pre-tournament game, uh, they looked more at ease, uh, comfortable. They made, the big right. saves, but it was never scrambly. It was like Carey Price big saves. Like, right. yeah, you get there and, you know, you slide across and you get there. Um, so it's just going to be a matter of getting to those goaltenders because both teams have young defense cores. Um, both teams have young forwards that have been injected that are going to contribute. Um, so I think it's going to be a very fast, a very physical um I'm going to repeat very physical <laughs> game if that's the game. And it's really going to come down to goaltending. Um, both teams are so highly skilled. Um, I've said it before. People are always like, oh, do you ever miss playing? You know, you're covering the games and you're watching. And I'm like, hell no. These players are far too fast and far too skilled. <laughs> like, um, and I would just be opening the door. I'm good up here. Um, so I, I think that that's what it's going to be. It's a battle of the goaltenders and, uh, and specialty teams with these two, because from what I saw in the pre-tournament competition is that these two are neck and neck and, uh, barring injuries, hopefully nothing happens to anybody. They're fairly even Steven. And, uh, I mean, it's like, it's like anything, right. It, yep. final. it does come down to goaltending. Yep. 
Okay, well, we will be watching uh, two weeks of this. You are going to be in that rink. There's no way you can sneak me into that rink at all, hey, to like cheer quietly from the rafters. A big enough rink. Maybe if I was like a James Duffy or something, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You're as big as James Duffy in my books, for sure. No offense to James. Uh, How's your golf game test? Um, A little bit non-existent lately. (laughs) I've been busy. I was gone covering the Olympics for NBC, came back and then came here. Yes. Uh, but before that, I got out a few times. Um, mediocre. Mediocre at best. But that's golf, right? Yeah, that is golf. Okay, well, if you have a day off, I feel like we should try and get out while you're here. We'll head out to the mountains quick and get in. Yeah. Al, you can fly down and join us if you can make it um, Oh, man, I'd love to. Okay. Okay, Tess, thank you so much. You look amazing. It was awesome talking to you. Have so much fun. Uh, three games a day. Man, this is a marathon, not a sprint, but I know you can do it. Uh, have fun. Thanks for thanks for being here, and we will talk to you soon, my friend. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, Tess. Cheers. I love talking to Tessa about hockey because she gets so fired. I mean, it's been years since she's played in the Olympics, but she gets so fired up about it. She just gets this energy about her that I'm just like, uh, she just is so excited to be a part of it, and it's it's great. To oh see. my, the the, right? the, the like, passion. She was she was she was wearing the passion like a button on her sleeve. Like it was amazing. Yes. You could see it so visibly, uh, and I love the fact that she said the Ohio State University. What she said, <laughs> right? Just little things like that. She's obviously like grown up an athlete, and it, oh, it was yeah. very it was very 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 cool to see. It was it was a lot of fun. I, I had like five more questions I could have asked her for sure, but uh, she was super engaging. We could have gone on forever. I am just really glad to see the tournament underway. I actually just randomly ended up golfing with Cassie Campbell the day after or a couple days after they had canceled the tournament and talking to her, she was obviously really upset for the women as well. So yeah, they, uh, it was awful when they canceled. It was just such a surprise, right? Nobody saw it coming. Like Tessa said, the women were already there. All the teams were like getting ready to fly in. So the cancellation was brutal, but it's awesome that uh, they figured a way to, to get it going here. So we will be watching for sure. Sure. Uh, all right, Al. I think that's it for us. Have a have a great weekend. You as well. Good luck on the scramble this weekend. <laughs> I, I, I once again, I'm going to say I'm excited to hear about um, the the 71 that you're going to shoot on Saturday and oh, yeah. the 69 you're going to shoot on Sunday. So yeah, I'm excited to hear about it next week. Good luck and all that. Enjoy uh, enjoy the weekend, and we'll we'll see you next week. Sounds good. You're listening to the Oh Come On Sports Podcast with me, Natasha Sanishevsky.